in this building ought to take about 30 seconds and lift your voice in this place and begin to shout, send it down. Send it down. Send it down. Hey! Come on, somebody give him a great big praise all over this house. Come on, if you're expecting it from God this morning, uh, give him a great big praise in this place. You ought to throw your hands in the air uh, and let all of heaven know I'm ready. Uh, Send it down, God. Send it down, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Clap your hands all over this building and give God a praise this morning. Whoa. Hallelujah. Are there any blessed people in the building today? Oh, I said, are there any blessed people uh, in the building today? Hallelujah. High five about six people on the way to your seat. Uh, tell them I'm ready for him to send it down today. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Hallelujah. Whoa. In him, there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He's the father of lights. Woo. Anybody grateful to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. You can be seated for just a few moments. We want to take an opportunity to say what a privilege and an honor it is to have all of our guests that are here with us this morning. Rock Church, can I borrow your hands and your voice for just a moment? I need you to help me make some big noise right now. Come on. We can do better than that. Help me welcome all of our guests into the house of the Lord today. We are so honored that you joined us this morning to worship with us. And if this is your very first time here at the Rock Church, you should have received a little invitation card to our VIP room when you walked in the door. And if you're here for the first time and you did not receive one of those, if you would just slip your hand in the air, one of our staff members will make sure to bring one right to you. But this is an invitation to join us for just a few moments immediately after the service in our VIP room. Now, everybody understands what VIP stands for. Very important person. And we want all of our guests to know this morning that you are a very important person to us. Amen, Rock Church. And uh, we have some light refreshments and a small gift that we'd love to give you. Take an opportunity to chat with you, tell you how much we appreciate you. And that will be immediately after the service today. Amen. Amen. It is so good to have the Whitmire family here this morning. They're just family here at the Rock Church. And we're excited that they're here today. And, uh, and then we have another very, very special uh, person in the house of the Lord who is not a guest. They've actually been a part of the church for quite some time, uh, but today will be the first time you all get to meet him. We are so excited to have our little buddy uh, with us this morning. Um, my mind's blinking. Daniel, I was going to say David. Too many babies being born right now. 
Little Daniel Josiah is with us this morning. Come on, would you help me give God some praise? Help me congratulate Sister Raymari and Brother Preston today. Amen. We're excited that he's with us this morning. And uh, God has been doing some amazing things in this house. Amen. Amen. Let's remember the last Sunday of this month. I believe that's the 29th will be Friends and Family Day, fifth Sunday. Pastor Caleb Adams will be with us. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Stand with me, if you would, all over this house as we prepare for the entrance of God's Word into this place. I uh, was praying this week about direction uh, for this weekend, and I felt led of the Holy Ghost uh, to have Pastor Trevor Sloss bring the word of the Lord to us this morning. How many of you thank God for our college and career pastor? Pastor Trevor Sloss, come on, show him some love this morning. He and his wife are doing an incredible job leading our college and career uh, students and uh, young adults, and we're grateful for their anointing and their ministry and uh, we came with expectation in our spirit, believing God to do something great in this house today. Amen. How many of you are ready to respond to the word of the Lord in this place today? Would you put your hands together one more time and give God a great big praise? Come on, help me give God a great big praise. As Pastor Trevor Sloss comes to deliver the word today. Come on, why don't we give that praise to God right now? Somebody clap your hands. Oh, come on, why don't you do it like the Bible says? And lift your voice with a shout of triumph. Hallelujah, come on, is there a victorious people in the house tonight? Is there a victorious people in this house? Whoa, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thankful to be in God's house this morning. Amen. I want to give honor the bishop, first lady, thank you for everything that you do, your patience, your love, your kindness, your understanding, the list goes on. Um, grateful to God today, thankful for his hand on my life, thankful for, I don't say it, I know I'm going to get some grief afterwards, my beautiful wife, I didn't say from her. say from her I'm thankful for her God knew what he was doing amen took a California girl brought her all the way over to the east coast she doesn't have the mic this morning so I can say it's the best coast amen if you have your Bibles why don't you grab it and turn with me to the book of Exodus Chapter number 14, I've, you'll hear preachers say it often that they've got a word from the Lord and that they've got a burden from God. Uh, I, can, I can attest that it is, not, it is not just rhetoric. I can attest the feeling that comes on a man when God has placed a word in their spirit. It's almost, it's almost crippling at times, Bishop. Maybe that just comes with time where you get used to it. I don't know, but I definitely, I have a burden in this house. 
And my philosophy is that if I can just help one person, then I'll have done my job. So if you'll bear with me this morning, I want to I just help somebody. Amen. Book of Exodus chapter number 14. We'll begin reading at verse number one. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihiharoth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of the Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army. And overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihiroth before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt us thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Just two more verses of scripture. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. I feel like today I'm talking to a group of people. It's a mixed group. There are people in this house that need deliverance. There are people in this house that need saving. They need deliverance from Egypt, from sin, from bondage. But I also want to talk to people that have come up against the Red Sea and are surrounded on every side. And it seems like there's absolutely no hope, no way of escape, no exit strategy. I want to try and give you a little bit of hope today, if that's all right. Why don't you put your Bibles down and lift your voice one time before we see the Lord, we need you in this house. God, more than ever before today, we need a move. God, we need your spirit. We need your anointing to saturate this place. 
God, every ear that is in this house, I pray that you would anoint it to hear your word, every mind to understand. God, every heart to receive, anoint my lips of clay. God, anoint my mind to speak your word. God, help me to give it the way that you gave it to me. God, I pray that you would change our hearts. God, I pray that you would change our perspective. God, I pray that you would give us fresh revelation in this house. Come on, if that's how you feel, somebody give God praise. Come on, clap your hands and give God praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated this morning. I'm a simple preacher, and so I have very simple titles and thoughts. I want to talk to you tonight, today, on this simple subject. If he can bring you out, he can bring you through. If he can bring you out, he can bring you. I thought that might be enough for somebody to shout right there, but I guess we're going to have to get there. Let me say it one more time. If he can bring you out, he can bring you through. This account ranks up there with one of the most recognizable stories, not just from the Bible, but from any genre. But what makes it so gripping and so recognizable, you've got plenty of stories out there that people will notice just like that. And maybe it's because of the storytelling. Maybe it's because of the author's prowess. Maybe it's because of the way that it touched the hearts and minds of people of the gen its generation. But I want to tell you today that one of the reasons why this story, this account in the Word of God is so recognizable, not only to people inside the church, but also to people outside the church, is because it deals with something that a lot of people deal with on a daily basis, and that is an impossibility. It speaks to the hearts of humanity because humanity is frail. Humanity is imperfect, and humanity deals with many, many impossibilities because we are not God. We, we live in a supernatural world and we operate by the natural. And so when we are faced with supernatural obstacles, it is very difficult for us to overcome them. And so we get put into these boxes and we get labeled uh, schizophrenic and we get labeled delusional. And we get labeled all these things. But I'm here today to tell you that it's because it's because you're human. It's because you're flawed and you're failed that you need a God to deliver you. And it's for that reason that this story is so popular and it's so, it's so prevalent in our society. Rivers, seas, and oceans don't just split and produce dry ground. I hope, I hope this is going to make sense to some people today. Rivers don't just split down the middle and provide dry ground for people to walk through. If you go and study it out, I'll say it like this. As a kid growing up and listening to these stories in Sunday school and seeing depictions drawn on walls, you get this idea that it was just this little strip of land that they were able to walk through. But if you read through the text and you go and study it out, they believe that it stretched for miles across. Why? Because there were millions of people that had to get through the Red Sea, and they had to get through it in a timely manner. So some scholars and theologians suggest that they went about 5,000 people wide across the Red Sea. You're not talking about just a little 
pond or a little, little stream in the middle of the desert. You're talking about a massive sea that stretches for miles. And you're talking about an opening in the middle of that sea where the water was literally, it looked like walls on either side. This is a good depiction. It looked like walls on, the either, si on either side of them that they were able to walk through. I think it's important to understand the history of the people that we're dealing with. And so if you'll bear with me for just a moment, we're going to go somewhere this morning. But I want to take you back for just a moment to the history. How did this people get into this predicament? Where did this people even come from? Well, like I said, I'm simple, so I like to oversimplify things. There are three main characters you need to know about. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you go back to the first man, Abram was called from his family by God, called out of his kindred. And he was told to go and find a land that I'm going to show you. Now, if you stop right there and you look at the story and you look at this predicament, you're only talking about, I think it's two verses where we get this command. He's leaving everything he's ever known to find a place, to go to a place that he's never heard about and that he's not going to be given directions to. Go and I'll show you the way. So we stop and we talk about the faith and... I, I, I think there, I agree that there is immense faith in this. And I'll preach it. That the, it took faith for Abraham to leave everything that he was comfortable with. Leave literally his family. Leave everything that he had ever known and go find a land. But we don't stop there. You read just a few more verses. And you see that there's promises attached to that. See, God will never ask you to do something without some sort of blessing attached to it. That's just not how he works. Bishop, you preached it a long time ago. Lessons from the storm. And you said that when you're in the storm, you can look for two things all the time. And that is a lesson and that is a blessing. Can I tell you today, can I remind you that we serve a God who likes to bless his children we don't serve a taskmaster. We don't serve a slave trader. We serve a God who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, but he's also your father. And the Bible says that it's his good pleasure to give good gifts to his children. We serve a God who wants to bless. But like Bishop preached, there's some requirements. There's some things that you've got to do and go through in order to obtain that blessing. And so... God called Abraham and said, I want you to leave your family. And with that, I'm going to give you favor, not only with me, but also with man. I'm going to bless you. He said, I'm going to also make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a, a, a lineage. Now, he had no kids at this point. At least that's what we, we can conclude from the word of God with the limited history we have of, of Abram. And so we know the story. He's an old man. The Lord comes to him and says, hey, I'm about to give you guys a kid. And it's through this child, this promise, that I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless all of the surrounding nations through. However, after disobedience and lack of faith, we see that there is birth in Ishmael. God promised him Isaac. But he put human hands on the divine promise. 
And from that birthed Ishmael. Be careful when you put, this isn't even in my notes, but be careful when you put your hands on the divine word of God and manipulate it to something that it isn't. Because when you do, you'll birth an Ishmael and you'll have havoc for the rest of your life. And you'll produce something that'll war against your own lineage for years and years to come. Even after their disobedience, even after the lack of faith, God is a promise keeper. And if you'll hold on to the promise, then you'll see the promise. They give him, God gives him a son and names him Isaac. This is main character number two. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. We know the story. Jacob fights for the birthright blessing. He was the younger. The Bible says that the elder shall serve the younger. And so he fights all of his life. There's a lot in between here. I don't have time to go through all of it. But go home and read it for yourself. He fights for the blessing, fights for the birthright, and he receives it. After, after immense struggle and after years of fighting and wrestling with God and, and running from the call of God on his life, he births 12 sons and he finally changes his name to Israel. God changes his name to Israel. There's an identity shift there. And I don't have time to preach all this, but when you finally empty out yourself to God and you finally quit running from the call of God on your life and you finally say, okay, today's the day that I'm giving everything over to God is the day that he'll change your name. He'll change your identity and your history from then on will be different. It'll say a different name. It'll have a different track record. Is there anybody in here that knows what I'm talking about? Is there anybody in here that's had a name change in your life that can testify that once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was Jacob, but now I'm Israel. He has 12 sons and each one of these sons starts a family and their families grow and grow until we see tribes, groups of people, massive families. And these 12 tribes from Israel become known as the 12 tribes of Israel or the nation of Israel as they would be called. We went from one man with a promise, Abraham, if you'll just listen to my word. If you'll just trust my plan and leave everything that you know. I'm not going to sit up here and act like it's easy. What would you do if you were in Abraham's shoes? Think about it. What would you do if God told you, I want you to pack up your car. I want you to leave your family behind. I want you to start driving until I tell you to stop. Yeah, that's not that easy. But we started with one man. One man with a promise. He held on to it. We went to two we went to three and four then we went to 12 tribes and now we're at an entire nation which at the time of the exodus numbered in the millions according to some scholars and theologians we're, we're talking about a nation of people here we're talking about a massive group of people this is the promise this is the reality that was was given to abraham he didn't get to see it fulfilled but he held on to it and through his faith and through the faith of his sons they were able to see it eventually we know the story Joseph one of Jacob's sons is sold into slavery he's lied on he's cheated he's thrown into a prison and forgotten about and he rises through the ranks 
he rises from the prison cell to the king's palace. He goes from being forgotten about, from being ostracized, to the second in command in the kingdom. And when famine breaks out in the land, we see this migration of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, into Egypt, into a place called Goshen. And from here, we can see the downfall. Was it their fault? They were just doing what they were told to do. They were following the will of God and the plan of God. Sometimes the will of God and the plan of God will get you into some sticky situations. Not bad situations, but some situations to test you and to prove you. See, we've got to change our perspective. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we got to change our perspective sometimes, Bishop, on, on some situations that we get ourselves into. What the devil meant for evil, God meant it for good, yes. But there are some times where he'll take his hand off you and he'll lead you to a place and say, Here, why don't you park here for a while? I want to see what you're going to do. I want to see how you're going to respond. I want to see how you're going to act when things don't quite go your way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? They're there. The Bible says there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. He didn't know the God of Joseph. He didn't know anything about him. He didn't care. And he sees these people and he sees an opportunity to capitalize on some free labor. So he enslaves them, and you know the story. They're, they build the pyramids, they build the great statues, and they work for the Egyptians. They're literally placed into slavery. It started with one man. I want you to see the history, the timeline. It started with one man with a promise from God. And it went to two, three, four, went to 12, a nation. A nation, a powerful nation. A nation so powerful and so large and so prosperous that the Egyptians looked at and took over uh, took an opportunity and uh, seized an opportunity and made them slaves. And for 400 years, they're slaves in Egypt with a promise on their life, with a call of God on their life. And so you know the story. God sends a deliverer. He sends Moses. He's not a perfect man, but he's called. And when God calls you, he calls an imperfect man, you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be willing. Now, that's not an excuse. I learned, Bishop, that's not an excuse not to try. It's not an excuse to, to sit back and not, not push forward for that mark of perfection. But it's simply a reminder that I'm human, I'm flesh, and that I make mistakes, and that I, I, I don't always say it the right way. I don't always get it right the first time, and I, I'm, I recognize that I need God in my life. And so if you can keep that, Moses, at the forefront of your mind, I don't need you to have a perfect track record. I don't need you to always get it right. I don't need you to be able to speak perfectly. I just need you to be willing to follow my hand. I just need you to be willing to do what I've called you to do. If you can can do that then I can use you don't get it twisted and think that when I come to God and I mess up and I make a mistake that it's the end of the road because it's not that's just a part of your story Bishop talked about it it's simply a part of your story and if you just let God work it out then he'll make something beautiful out of it then he can use you the problem comes into play when we put our hands on it we already talked about it their cries have gone up before God. He begins the process to deliver them. 
We see that he sends plague after plague. The Bible says that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would actually keep Israel there just a little bit longer. They've been given a word. Moses came and said, hey guys, God sent me to set you free. And of course, they're skeptical. And time after time, the word of God came back and said, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And every time he went, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened against Moses and against the word of God and the people of Israel so that he kept them there a little bit longer. Sometimes God will keep you in a place for just a little bit longer until, he real, until you realize what he's doing in your life. Sometimes he'll keep you back just for a little bit until you can really appreciate what he's trying to do. Until you can really let go and say, I hold on to whatever he says. Whatever he wants me to do, I'll do it. One thing to note one thing I think is pivotal about this story is that these people were in Egypt and they were comfortable. They were content so that when Moses did come to them, the Bible says that they said, eh, we're, we're comfortable where we're at. Why don't you just leave us? We read it in, in, in the opening text. They said, we want to just stay here and serve the Egyptians. You're, you're causing too much, too much drama. Look at all these frogs everywhere. Look at, look at, and it wasn't affecting them, but look at all this, this damage around us. And you're, you're just making it tough for us because, because now we've got to work a little bit harder to make the bricks. And, and it's, it's a little difficult. So why don't you just go about your merry way and, and we're fine in the place that we're at. We're comfortable living under the, 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 the guise of sin and under the, the, the thumb of, of sin for a little bit longer because it's easier this way. I don't have to fight with, with Pharaoh. I don't have to, to struggle anymore. It's, it's simple to just live life the way that I've been living. But I'm here today to tell you that if you really want to be free, you've got to want it. And the thing is, is let me tell you, is that you think that where you are at and what you are doing is fine, it's easy, it's simple. But the truth is, is that you're a slave to sin. You think that you're doing what you want to do. They thought that they were doing just, they were cooling, as some would say. They were just living life. This is just the way it is. This is just our lot in life, but that's not the case. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. God wants to set you free. God wanted to set them free, but they had to get it for themselves. I wonder if there's any people today that are at the point in their life where they say, you know what? I want to be set free for me, not because somebody else is trying to get me free, not because God is pushing me, but because I'm finally to the place where I'm done with sin and I'm done with shame and I'm done with depression and God, I want to be free for me. I want to be free for me. I don't want to live the same way that I've been living. I don't want to wake up with a headache and a hangover. I don't want to live, wake up not knowing whose bed I'm in and, 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 and not knowing if I'm going to live or not and not knowing if I'm going to see my kids or, or whatever it is. I want to live free. I want to live free. I want to live with a clear conscience. I want to live debt free. I want to live. 
God will go to great lengths to save somebody. He'll send plagues. He'll send a deliverer out into the wilderness for 40 years. He'll do whatever it takes, but at the end of the day, you've got to want it for yourself. You've got to want it for yourself. I can't, I can't bring you out of it. I can, I can try to convince you. I can try to help you. And I can try to show you a better way. But at the end of the day, you've got to make it up in your mind that I'm getting out of this for myself. I'm getting out of this for myself. Finally, after 400 years of slavery, after 400 years of slave mentality, you've got to realize that an entire generation, generations have passed. So this is, this is all they know. They don't know anything else. All they know is slavery. After all of this, after all of the convincing, after all of the, the, the faith building and all of the, hey, we can get through this and well, God's going to deliver you and, and God's got better for you, they finally leave Egypt. They finally leave their past behind and they break out. They run out into the desert and they're free. They're free by all circumstances. In every way it looks, they're free. They're free from sin. They're free from chains. They're free from bondage. But you can take somebody out of Egypt. You can take somebody out of Egypt. God, you can, get, you can leave Egypt physically, but you've got to leave it behind mentally. You've got to leave it behind spiritually. You can't bring Egypt with you. You can't bring that old thinking, that old mentality with you. You've got to leave it behind. They're finally free and they make their exit. This is where I want you to notice. They come to the biggest obstacle. They come to, to a, an impossibility in their life. They come to a place where it looks like there's no hope. It's the Red Sea. And I want you to notice something. In Exodus 14, chapter 12, the Bible says that they're trapped in between these two places. They're trapped in between a mountain, a city, and a city, a fortified city on one side and a sea in front of them. And now they realize that Pharaoh's army is behind them. So on all four sides, they're completely trapped. But what I find interesting is that when you read this, when you really read it, I never noticed it. Maybe it's just me. That's okay. But what's interesting is that it specifies that the Lord brought them to this place. It specifies, God said, hey, I want you to go to this location. I, in other words, I want you to go to a place where there is no exit. I want you to go to a place where you have either one, op one of two options. You either go backward or you go forward. Can't go to the side. And if they go forward, they may drown. So they're trapped with an impossibility either way. What do we do? And this is where the murmuring and the complaining begins. In their eyes, it was the end. There was no hope. There was no escape. They were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. Their mind began to shift. Their mentality began to shift. Hey, maybe we are free. 
Maybe, maybe we don't have to go back to that lifestyle. Maybe we can start over and start fresh. And then they're brought to a place where they're trapped on all sides. And Pharaoh's army is behind them. Their past is brought behind them. And it may look like an impossibility to the, to the human eye. In the flesh, it may look like an impossibility. But they didn't have the benefit of something that we have today. And that's hindsight. They didn't really know this God. You got to understand, they, they didn't really know who he was. They, were, they just, they, they had heard about him. They taught about him, but they didn't know him for themselves. And so they don't have the privilege of understanding that God is never trapped. And that God is never lost. And that he doesn't make mistakes. And if I tell you to go to a place where you're surrounded on all sides then there must be a solution somewhere. Come on, does anybody hear what I'm saying? There must be a solution somewhere. It may seem like an impossibility to you. It may seem like it's absolutely, there's no question, there's no exit. But let me remind you that you serve a God that has no, he, ha, he has no limit to what he can do. He doesn't get trapped in his own hand. He doesn't, he doesn't get trapped in his own thinking, in his own planning. He doesn't execute it and then, and then think about it later and say, hey, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And maybe I should have brought you over here. No, he has a plan and a purpose. He has something specific for the children of Israel. We've got to start rethinking our impossibilities. Yeah, you got to start rethinking those, those impossibilities. That mountain that's standing in front of you, quit looking at it as an impossibility, but look at it as an opportunity for God to work something out. You've got to change your thinking. You've got to change the way that you view it. This isn't an impossibility. This isn't something that's insurmountable. If you serve a God who is well able, which you do, and if you do, then you've got to start thinking that way. See, it's a mentality shift, though, because they were used to being fed every day. They were used to, to, to three square meals a day and a little place they could call home, and it may not have really been home, but it was something that they could go home to. And so their mentality shifted. They went from relying on the world, went from relying on Egypt, went from relying on, on their own intuition and their own thought process to relying on a God that they could not see. And to relying on a man that had presumably a speech impediment. So this is a huge mentality shift for them. Bible says in Exodus chapter 14 verse 4. I want you to see this. This is the Lord talking. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host. That the Egyptians may know that I the Lord now I could be wrong and Bishop you can correct me if I am but the Bible essentially is saying that he the Lord sent Pharaoh he sent Pharaoh he sent their past he sent their slave master he was the one that was was proving them and was showing them he was the one that was trying to build their faith and at the same time get glory and honor and let the Egyptians know that they're no longer in control. 
if you'll just obey what the word of God is saying, if you'll just listen to what the man of God is saying in your life, it may look like an impossibility. It may look like there's no way out. But can I tell you today that it's nothing but the hand of God. It may look like all hell is broken out in your life. But let me tell you that it's nothing but the hand of God in your life. Job, I know it looks dark. I know it looks like there's no hope and there's, there's no possibility of, of anything good coming out of this. But if you'll just hold on to my word, if you'll just hold on to my hand, and if you'll just understand that I have a reason, I have a purpose. He knows the plans. He knows the thoughts uh, that he thinks toward us. He's got a plan uh, and a purpose for your life. You just got to hold on to his word. The Bible says all the way back at Abraham that I'll make of you a great nation. And if they kept that in their mind, when they got to the Red Sea, they'd remember, hey, wait a second. We're not a great nation yet, so there's no way that we can be destroyed. If you haven't seen the promise that God placed on your life, uh, that God gave to you, then everything that comes up against you is not destruction, it's not defeat, it's not the end of the story, but it's a miracle in the making. It's a miracle in the making. You can't have a miracle without an impossibility. All you need to do is hold on to the word of God. You may think it's just an old friend. You may think that that is just an old struggle popping up. And before I get misunderstood, let me clarify. The devil will throw those things in your face. You better believe that the devil will. You think that he's going to let somebody go from out of his slave camp? You know what you are when you're in when you're in bondage to sin? You're a spiritual incubator. You can just produce more and more for Satan. Yeah, because if you can grab somebody else and bring them to the bar and get them hooked. Yeah, if you, if you can get hooked up with somebody over here and, and have a kid with them and get them in dismay. And, and if you can link up with somebody over here, all you're doing is you're producing more and more people for Satan's kingdom. And so he's not just going to let somebody go that's, that, that wants deliverance. You may think you want deliverance, uh, but I have other plans. Uh, I need you to work for me. I need you to come back over here. Playtime's over. Playtime's over. I, I know you think you're free, but I need you to come back home now. And so we've got both sides of this. God sends Pharaoh. God sends their past, but the devil is trying to use it to whisper in their ear and say, hey, you're really not free. I know you think you are, but you, it's time to come home now. Fun's over. I hated that when I was a kid. Can I just remind somebody that your God is in control? Your God is in control. And because your God is in control, there is no reason to fear. We sing it. It's a fun song. It's a cool song. It's got a nice beat to it. The lyrics are fun and then they, they ring true, but you've got to really understand it. You've got to really get it for yourself that if God before me, then who can be against me? And if the Lord fights my battles, then why should I be afraid? 
Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? <laughs> I can remember when I was a kid, me and, my, me and a couple of my buddies, we would sometimes get ourselves into a pickle. And uh, that's the best way I'll say it. And uh, there were times where we would get in trouble or, or we would get into a situation where one of us was, how do I say it? I don't want to say being attacked, but uh, you, you get what I'm saying. One of us was, was kind of pinned up against the wall, if you will. And there was always a couple of us boys around and we were always playing together and we always had each other's backs. But sometimes we would get into a situation, even in the middle of us, where it may be one against the other. And so you'd start looking at your friends and be like, you got my side, or you got his side. What's going on here? About the scrap or what? And we started playing sides essentially and try to get buddies and link up because if I could get somebody with me, if I could get somebody that maybe is just a little bit bigger and somebody that maybe is, is a little bit more intimidating, then maybe I can beat the other guy because by myself, I'm scared. By myself, I'm, I'm inefficient because I'm, I'm smaller than he is and I may not be as old as he is, but if I can get somebody older on my side and if I can get somebody that's a little bit smarter and a little bit bigger, then maybe we have an opportunity to take this guy out. And, and this is exactly what you see with the children of Israel, except they couldn't recognize that God was that older brother. God was that person that was standing over top of him saying, hey, I got your back. I got your back. I, I'm not bringing you to a place where you're going to be destroyed. I'm not bringing you to a place just to leave you. But I'm here by your side the entire time. And if you're not careful, you'll let fear dictate your reality. And you'll start to think that everything surrounding you and every situation that surrounds you is the end. The Bible says that they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? In other words, why didn't you just kill us in Egypt? If you were bringing us to a place of destruction, why didn't you just take care of that in Egypt and leave us there? We could have died there. It would have been fine. You didn't have to torture us. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word we did tell thee in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They were free. They had escaped Egypt. They had left their slave masters behind. To me, this blows my mind, but I, I wasn't there, so I don't really know what they were thinking. But if I had somebody that was standing over top of me with a whip saying, get to work, get to work, or you're not going to eat today, and I'm free from that, I would probably start to change my perspective a little bit on the situation. I'm not going back to that. If I die out here, I'm going to die fighting. If I die out here, I'm going to die trying. But they got so fearful. They got so fearful of the situation and it warped their reality. The reality is, is that they weren't better off in Egypt. The truth is, is that you're not better off in the world. The truth of the matter is, is that you're not free in the world, but rather you are a slave to sin. 
and you are in bondage. Struggle and impossibility will have you turning your head back. Looking back at what you thought was just living and thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could go back to that. So we talk about it, but here's the thing with, with sin is that it doesn't, you don't pay the full price up front. You don't pay the full price up front. So when you leave sin, it, it, it can look, it can look twisted. <laughs> Satan loves to make evil things look beautiful. He did it with Eve. He made disobedience look normal. He made it look enticing and, and appealing. God said not to eat it, but he was working on her and saying, hey, well, why don't you just not listen to that? It's, it's not real. And so he made disobedience attractive. He didn't label it disobedience. He didn't label it breaking the law. All he did was label it, label it as self-expression. And free living. And, 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 and doing things my way. <laughs> That's the biggest lie of the enemy. Is that you're just going to be doing it your way. I'm just living my best life. I'm just doing me. You aren't doing anybody. You aren't doing anything. You're a slave. You're deceived. And it breaks my heart to see people deceived. Fear is a scary thing, Bishop. Because it'll have you seeing stuff that isn't there. It'll have you making it up in your mind that this is my new normal. Or this is my new reality. It's literally the definition of delusional. To see things that aren't there because of fear. Believing that something is happening or that something is there when it really isn't. And according to scientific research, every delusional disorder has fears attached to it. Fear and anxiety are hand in hand with one another. And because of the fear that surrounded them on all sides... Because of the fact that there seemed to be no escape, there seemed to be no hope, the Israelites thought it was actually better enslaved. They thought it was better being enslaved in the land of Egypt. But the truth is, is that whom the Son hath set free is truly free indeed. And you don't have to go back to that. You don't have to go back to that lifestyle. And you don't have to go back to live in that way. See, one of the saddest things is when a, when a believer makes their way out of Egypt and they make their way out of sin, one of the saddest things to witness is, is for them to come up against something that's difficult. It's for, for them to come up against something that, that, that tries their faith and it tries their commitment to God and to, to, to work with them and to try and, and tell them, hey, God hasn't brought you this far to leave you and and, and God has your back and you can encourage them. But one of the saddest things to see is to see them turn right around and go back to it. Thinking that it's just easier and it's just better that way. Now this by itself is an amazing testimony. But I want to ask the question. What about after the Red Sea? 
what, what happens next? Sure, we're out of Egypt now. And God brought us through. We're on the other side. We've made it into the cloud of glory. But I got a question for you. What happens when the next impossibility comes up? What happens when the next situation pops up and, and there's another impossibility and another uh, no hope situation? What happens then? Well, I can tell you what the, what the Israelites did. They got back into that thinking again over and over and over again. So much so that we read over and over and over again in the, New, in the Old Testament. God saying, fear not nor be afraid. Fear not, nor be afraid. Fear not, nor be afraid. I've got your back. Let me handle this situation. Just hold on to my hand and I'll bring you through. But over and over and over again, they got stuck in their old ways of thinking. Not even remembering that God brought them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. God literally parted the waters. God literally gave them manna, bread from heaven. God provided water out of a rock. And yet over and over again, they come to these impossibilities and think that there's no hope. Can I just help somebody today that if you aren't careful... And if you, if you forget what God has done for you in the past, you'll stay stuck in the same loop over and over and over again. And God will keep bringing you to a place where he's trying to prove you. And he's trying to figure out where's your heart, where are you standing. Can I just tell it to you like this? If he did it before, then why can't he do it again? If he brought you out before, then why can't he bring you out again? If he made a way the first time, why can't he make a way the second time and the third time and the fourth time? Somebody ought to tell the devil he's a liar and remind yourself that God made a way when there seemed to be no way. He opened doors when there seemed to be no door. At some point, you've got to bow up on the devil and bow up on your flesh and say, not today. I know it seems impossible. I know we got a bad report back. I know we got a bad, a bad credit report, a bad doctor report, whatever it is. I don't care what it is. You've got to go back to that last time God made a way. You've got to go back to that last time God brought you through and remind yourself that if he brought me out, then he can bring me through. And if he made a way back then, then he'll make a way today. Somebody ought to hold on to that testimony that God gave you. Some, You know, I love hearing people's testimonies. And I love hearing them over and over again. Bishop, Judah, I love it when you guys tell the story of how Judah should have been dead. I love it because it reminds me that if God did it for him, if God did that for them, then why can't he do it for me? See, you crossing the Red Sea is not always just for you, but it's for somebody else. 
it's it's not just for you but it's also for somebody else you got to hang on to that testimony you can't forget what God's done for you you can't forget how God made a way And so we see it over and over and over again. They're brought up to these impossible circumstances. And God makes a way. And finally, this is where I want to close to this morning. Music, music, you can come. Finally, they get to a point where Moses has died. Because of their complaining, because of their, their lack of faith and their lack of obedience to God, the Bible says that the Lord said, this generation will not make it into the promised land. This generation, because of all the complaining, because of all the murmuring, because of the lack of faith, will not make it into the promised land. And so that entire generation has died off now. But the story still remains. The testimony still remains. That God parted the Red Sea way back then. They sat their kids down and told them, there was a day, there was a day where we were trapped on all sides, where the army was behind us and we could hear the hoof beats, and we could hear the chariot wheels turning, and we could hear the shouts, and there was a river, a river in front of us, and out of nowhere, Moses lifts up his hand, lifts up his rod, and the waters part, and you can see the kids' eyes, waters parting, yeah, the waters parting. God brought us through. It's the testimony. They're given the testimony so much so to the point that when they get to Jericho and they're about to cross over, it's a completely new generation. Can I, can I just stop and say this? I'm thankful for the testimony of my parents. I'm thankful for the testimony of my elders. And you know what? It's a part of my testimony. And now tell it all the day long about how God saved my mom and how, how God rescued my dad and how he brought us to Fort Myers and he blessed our life. Their testimony has helped me remember that God is able. Their testimony has shaped my own testimony. But let me remind you that God's not just interested in your parents' testimony. God's not just interested in the Azusa Street testimony and, and, and he's not just interested in the testimony of your forefathers, but he's interested in giving you your own testimony. He's interested in giving you your own testimony so that you can tell your kids what he did for you. So that you can tell the next generation what he did for you and how he brought you out and how he made a way for you. So this Joshua, the new leader, tells him, listen, guys, we got to go through a sea. Ain't no problem. Why? Because God did it before. And he gives him instruction, and he tells him the priests are going to step into the water. When their feet touch the water, the waters are going to part, and we're going to walk through. And they walk through, and it's, it's, it's crazy to see and to think. 
the fact that the start of the generation was them going through the Red Sea. And the start of the next generation was them going through the river of Jericho. Can I tell somebody today that if you want your past truly erased and if you want to be a new creature, you've got to go through the water. It doesn't matter if it was just your parents that did it. It doesn't matter if it was Bishop that did it. It has to be for you as well. In other words, you've got to experience this thing for yourself in the same way that they experienced it. book of Zechariah chapter number four and verse six the Bible says that this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts and the next verse I never saw this but the next verse says who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel shalt thou become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. The Lord literally told Zerubbabel, I'm about to give you a testimony. So that you can look at this mountain and say, who art thou, great mountain? Who art thou, great trial? Who art thou, great impossibility? It's going to become a plain before me. But don't, don't miss this. Go back to verse 6. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came unto him saying, it's not by might and it's not by power but it's by my spirit saith the Lord can I help somebody today that mountain that you're standing in front of that impossibility that you're standing in front of is not gonna move by your own will it's not gonna crumble by your own thinking and by your own intuition, it's not going to move because you want it to move. It's going to move by the Spirit of God. It's going to move by the power of God. So if you're operating in the flesh, then you can just expect to sit there. Can I say it like this? Oftentimes I feel that sometimes when we get in front of those impossibilities, Bishop, and we come before those mountains that seem immovable and seem like there's no hope and no escape. Could it be that we're operating in the arm of the flesh, trying to remove it? Could it be that God is simply waiting for you to invoke his name and his authority and his spirit? God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it happen. When all the while God's saying, I don't need you to figure it out. I don't 
need you to make a way. I need you to let me make a way. I need you to trust that I know what I'm doing, that I haven't brought you this far to leave you, that I haven't brought you to this place to let you die. If you want to move the mountains in your life, if you want the mountains to move, if you want the Red Sea to part in your life, then you've got to surrender your will to God. And you've got to allow him to work in your life. Murmuring and complaining and grumbling won't get you anywhere. But submission of will. Understanding that my God holds the world in the palm of his hands. And that my God hasn't brought me here to leave me. Will get you through. Why don't we stand in this house? Come on, every hand lifted, every eye closed. I don't know what you came in here facing. I don't know what you came in here needing God to do. I don't know what you came in here needing God to work. But can I remind you today that if he did it before, then he can do it again. Can I remind somebody that if he brought your mom out, if he brought your dad out, if he brought, if he brought our forefathers out of trials, and if he brought them through, then he can do the same for you. Come on, somebody lift your hands in this house. Come on, it's here right now. It's here right now. Hallelujah. Come on, these altars are open. Somebody, why don't you make it up in your mind? God, I'm not going back to that old way of thinking. God, I'm putting my trust in you right now. God, I'm putting my hope in you right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
Stop. 